If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is perhaps one of the most known, well-known verses and chapters of the entire New Testament. Uh, And let me just say this, that just because it is well-known does not mean that it is well-understood. Many people will point to Hebrews chapter 11 and they will say, look at the great things that faith has accomplished. And they will say, and, and perhaps incorrectly so, uh, you know, use loose definitions of faith or unclear definitions of faith. And we will be handed in this chapter a definition of faith. Uh, and so we're going to look at that. We're also going to see in this chapter lists of people in the Old Testament who lived by faith and God commended them for that. Uh, you know, and it's to me, I don't know, when you read the Hebrews chapter 11, I find the list of Hebrews chapter 11 surprising. Because there are people in the list of Hebrews chapter 11 that are listed among the hall of faith that are considered straight arrows, right? Some of the folks that are in there, like Enoch, we're going to talk about him today, pretty straight arrow, did well, not a real big surprise. But you also got people in the hall of faith like Jephthah. We're going to talk about him in a couple weeks, uh, you know, whenever we come back to this series here, if we take a break here for Christmas, that uh, you're going to kind of scratch your head and say, really, this guy got into the Hall of Faith with this kind of a track record? And so we're, we're going to see that there are even jerks in this list, right? In the Old Testament, I'm just going to be very blunt and state this, uh, there are no bigger jerks in the Old Testament than Samson. Samson was kind of a jerk, you know? But yet, at the end of his life, he does a tremendous act of faith, taking God's enemies out and himself, by putting his hands on those pillars and pushing. And so we're going to see some of these different things that are highlighted here. But in this passage, it's going to start out with a quick definition of faith. So turn with me now, Hebrews chapter 11, as we focus on faith. Church, hear the word of God. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. May God have blessing to the reading of his holy and errant and infallible word. I pray he writes this truth on our hearts today. One of the best books that has been written in the last two or three hundred years was written by a man in England, and his name is George Mueller. George Mueller is a believer of yesterday, 1800s, who ran an orphanage shelter, saw many Christian schools planted, and just loved the Lord. What makes him unique is this. While he ran his orphanage shelter in England, he never publicized and made the means of the shelter known to fellow men. He simply prayed to God that what was needed for the shelter would be provided. And in his book, 
answers to prayer, he records how God responded to his prayers. Let me read you an entry. This is from September 21st, 1840. Here's what George says. By what was in hand for the orphans and by what came in yesterday, the need of today is more than supplied as there is enough for tomorrow also. Goes on to say, uh, you know, I, I wanted to read that because he is praying for the needs of the shelter to be met daily. Like, like it, this is, we don't even hardly think this way. Like, we, we usually think in terms of weeks or months and provisions and how long things. He is, he is praying for the needs of the shelter and the orphans to be met every day. He goes on to say, Today a brother from the neighborhood of London gave me 10 pounds to be laid as, as it might, to be used as needed, as we've been praying many days for the school and missionary funds. I took it all for them. This brother I knew nothing about our work when he came three days since to the Bristol, which is where the orphanage was. The Lord uh, showed his continual care, raising up new helpers that they trust in the Lord and shall never be confounded. Someone, some who helped for a while, they have fallen asleep. So that means they passed away in Jesus Christ. Others may grow cold in the service of the Lord. Others may be as desirous as even to help, but no longer have the means. Others have both a willing heart to help and also the means, but in the Lord's will they lay out in another way, and there from one calls or another we can lean upon man none, but we should surely be comforted when leaning on the living God alone. And here's the line I love when he writes this. Listen to this next part. We are beyond disappointment and beyond forsaking because death wants of means or want of love. How precious do have we learned in any measure to stand with God alone in the world and yet be happy and to know that surely no good thing shall be withheld from us which we walk up rightly. Do you hear what he said? Beyond disappointment and beyond forsaking. I mean, this is an incredible thing. This is a man who walked daily in faith throughout his whole life. I wish I could tell you that I had a faith that was beyond disappointment, but I'm not going to stand up here and lie this morning and say there hadn't been times in my walk with the Lord where I was saddened or that I believed the lie from Satan that somehow a greater blessing was being withheld from me. But look what he says here. We are beyond disappointment. You know, in order to be a people who are beyond disappointment in their faith, we've got to ask some questions this morning. We've got to ask questions like, what is faith? Uh, what is the object of faith? What do we need to know? What does it look like? What does it accomplish? What is the goal of faith? These are the things we need to know in order to have a faith that is beyond disappointment. Let's just start out here with the Word of God. We go back to verse 1. And in verse 1, he tells us here and gives us the beginnings of a working definition. What does he say in verse 1 of chapter 11? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I would almost be tempted to change it to say the reality of things hoped for because God has promised and he will deliver. You know, I, I don't know if you think about this or not, but... We're all people of faith. Everybody on this planet is a person of faith. Let me give you a, a case in point here, right? 
How many of you drank from tap water this week? Raise your hand if you had either coffee, directly or indirectly, from tap water. How do you know the person that mixed the chemicals in that got that right? How do you know there's not lead in that water? You say, well, that couldn't happen here. Well, talk to the people in Flint, Michigan. It happened there, right? It takes a degree of faith to know if I can even take a sip of this water, right? You're having faith in what another person, you didn't see those people. You didn't see what they did. But you're, you're assuming everything's good with it, right? In a similar fashion here, how can we say, I can drink from this tap water? Well, one of the reasons we can say we can is because, to my record, we don't have anybody that's killed over in Carter County from drinking from the tap, right? Okay, don't, don't, don't answer that. Don't shoot by, oh, he's a 911 dispatcher. If anybody in this room knows, he'll know. <laughs> anyway, uh, but by and large, it's a decent track record. We'll say that. I won't say it's a flawless track record, but it's decent, right? How much more the track record of God, right? How much more his track record? Here's the question that we need to press in when we think about having the assurance here of this reality. How do I know? How do I know that I can trust God's promises? How do I know I can trust their promises? How do I know they're worthy of being trusted? Here's the answer. The answer to that question is this. Because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That's why you can trust the promises of God. That's why they are worthy of being trusted. We have the cross. We have the resurrection. We have the irrefutable evidence that Jesus Christ came to the, to the cross, that he died a, a death of a sinner, of one who was the lowest of society, and that he raised up out of the grave. This is the definition of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is not the means in and of itself. I had a hermeneutics professor in seminary. I love this illustration. I've used it before. I'll use it till I die. He would say this. He would say faith is like a syringe in a hospital. It's like a needle in a hospital. A needle does not give you the medicine. The needle does not. It gives you the medicine. It is not the medicine itself, is it? The needle is the vehicle by which the medicine is delivered. So the vehicle, faith is the vehicle. Gospel and grace is the means that you're saved by. You're not necessarily saved by faith. You're saved through faith. You're saved by Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Through faith. There's a distinction there, right? Or as another preacher said about faith, he said, you know, faith is very much like a title deed to a house, right? If you have a title deed in your house, is that title deed the house? Is it the house? No, it's a piece of paper, isn't it? But that piece of paper guarantees the ownership of that home, right? So faith is critical to the life of a believer. It is the means that God has selected to save, and it also continues to be a proof and a guarantee of that salvation. This is why I lose my mind a little bit when I go into places like Bed Bath & Beyond or, you know, home decoration places. And they just have signs that say, faith. Well, it's like having a sign in the hospital that says, needle. See what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Faith in what? You know what I mean? Uh, or deed. Deed to what? You know? Um, it, it is the medical equivalent of this, right? When people make statements and say, well, you know, you just got to have faith. And you got to be real sincere in that faith. If you're just sincere in what you faithfully believe, then God will honor that. 
Will he? Here's my question, right? Let's let's go down to the Walgreens down the road here. I have a doctorate degree, so I'm going to get behind the counter. You're going to come in. <laughs> you're going to come in, and you're going to say, Pastor Travis, I have a science affection. I say, okay, great. I don't even look. I just reach back behind and grab pills. Don't look at the label. Plop out seven or eight of them. If you'll just take these and really have, really believe and have faith that they'll heal you. <laughs> You'll, you'll be able to call Mr. Rash later this afternoon. Right? <laughs> right? That's, that's, that's foolishness, isn't it? That's just as foolish as saying, if you just have faith and sincerity, no, friends. You have to have faith in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. The faith has to have an object. Otherwise, it's foolishness. It's absolute foolishness. The goal of my faith then, the goal of my faith, and, and it's written here, it's, he tells us in verse 2, look at what the goal of faith is. He tells us, for if by it the people of old received their commendation. What is the goal of faith? It's to receive a commendation from God. Uh, well, what does that mean? Well, Abraham lived and believed in God, and it was counted to him, Hebrews tells us, as righteousness. It says that in the Old Testament as well. We've seen already, the Bible's told us, the just shall live by faith, or as it says in one place, the one who is justified shall live, because it's difficult to translate, and so the answer to that translation question is yes, both and. We're committed here to a life that is exclusive faith in Jesus Christ. Let me, let me say another thing that faith is not. Because I've talked to people like this. Faith is not hedging your bets. All right. As a young man, was in the military, about my age. This was back probably 20 years ago when he was first in the military, or 15 years ago. And he made decisions with his family and with his body that were not in keeping with the Word of God. I'm just going to say that. All right. So I talked to him about the gospel. I said, "Friend, you know he he had married one of my childhood friends. She was like a sister to me. So I was very concerned about the family. I said, "Friend, tell me what <laughs> your dad was a preacher." Do you not believe in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? Do you not have faith in Christ? I mean, your lifestyle doesn't match if that's the case. He said, oh, I've trusted Christ and Muhammad and Joseph Smith and Buddha. I've got them all covered. That way, just in case I get to the other side, I'm good in every heaven. That's not faith at all. That's hedging bets. Faith is not about hedging bets. Here, here is what it's saying. Faith is about what? It is a confidence in the exclusive, resurrected Jesus Christ as your only hopes and means of salvation. That you look to none other than to Christ alone. So faith here is a confidence. It is not some la-la hope. It is not hedging bets. It is not something that you mustered up necessarily in a game. It is confidence here in Christ as the object of that faith. Here, here is what we're trying to get to, right? The goal here. What, what we're trying to get to is I want God to look at my life and my faith and say I see Travis Tyler's faith and it pleases me, right? Isn't that what this verse says? They receive their commendation from God because of their faith. And, and the next step from that is when God sees a faith that he has pleasing to him 
one that is evident from the salvation that is there and from the life of gratitude and joy and service that flows out of that, then I think the next thing he says is this is a person who can have the Holy Spirit come alongside and I can use for my glory and my kingdom. That's the goal of faith. Now the question is, how do we get there? How do we get to a faith that is beyond disappointment? How do we get to a faith that has this as the goal in the crosshairs? Well, I think it starts in verse 3. Look at verse 3 again here with me. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. Here's the first step, he says. First, right out of the bat, to have this kind of faith that is beyond belief, you must believe in a Creator God. That is the first step of having a faith beyond uh, disappointment, right? We've been doing a study in my Sunday school class. And by the way, if you don't have a Sunday school class, I, I think we're technically labeled as young adults, but some of us are are less on the young side as we approach middle of the road, but we're still in there. If you don't have a Sunday school class, come on in, join us. We'll take you, take anybody in there. <clears throat> We've been doing a study on creation, and i got to tell you, the odds are not in favor of a random universe happenstancing together. You know, is it any surprise that the road to faith, the first step, is belief that a God created everything that is in existence? It should be no surprise at all to us, right? Because a God who creates everything is in control of everything. But a God who didn't create is a God who is not intimately involved with His creation because He didn't care, right? He didn't have anything to do with Him. It is a God who creates. And how does the Bible tell us this happened? It says it speaks uh, ex nihilo in Latin. From nothing, then there was something. God spoke words and all creation existed. There was nothing, then there was something. You know, we were talking about our Sunday school class this morning, just the odds of a simple bacteria or cell. You know, you've got three meters of programmable DNA in that thing, and they have to be sequenced just right. You know the astronomical odds of getting that right randomly? Um, you know, <laughs> the odds of it all just falling into place, the right proteins on the right-hand side or the left-hand side to make that thing work. I like this quote from Robert uh, I think it's pronounced Gistrol in his book God and the Astronauts or Astronomers, where he's talking about scientists who have uh, sought to just erase this doctrine of creation that there is a creator God. I love this quote. I think I posted it on Facebook a few weeks ago because it came from the study we've been doing in Sunday school. But here's what he said He said this um, For the scientist who has lived by faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. I love it. I'm not going to put that on my wall somewhere, I think. It's true, isn't it? Creation is critical for faith, and believing in the God creates is critical. The next question that will flow from that, well, we, we can maybe go along with the Creator. Why did he make all this? Some people will say, well, God got lonely. Hogwash, right? That's not true. God had the Trinity. He's been from all existence. Father had the Son. Son had the Spirit. Spirit had the Father and the Son. They all had each other. That's a pagan idea. That's an Egyptian idea. That's, a, that's, a, that's an Egyptian God idea that God created us because he was lonely. That kind of makes us all like God's uh, psychiatrist or something. We're not, we're not made because God was lonely. We're made 
for his glory. That's why all of creation was made. Now, some people get a little, their feathers get ruffled whenever pastors or theologians or preachers say that. But, but let, me, let me highlight something here. It's very important. David Platt said this. He's the former president of the International Mission Board. I think he's a pastor now. Talking about this concept, he says, you know, sometimes it bothers people when those who say God is ultimately about God's own glory, that's what he cares most about. And then he goes on to say this. He said, then pray tell whose glory would you rather him desire? Yours? A created fallen being? Angels? They're creatures the same as we are? What's the alternative? If God doesn't seek his own glory, whose glory does he seek? And the answer you'll quickly find is there is no other glory that he should seek but his own. So it is a, the, the, the universe, all of creation are made for God's glory, to reflect God's glory, and to point people to God's glory. That's the first step of faith. Second thing is this. He goes on and he tells us here in the next verses, faith is to approach him in the way that he invites. So you understand there's a creator God. second part is that you approach him in the way that he invites. You don't just get to make this thing up in Christianity. You don't get to just decide how Christianity is going to be done. God has decided how he will be approached and how he will not be approached. Uh, we're introduced here in this section to two characters in the Old Testament, two characters who I would say are not centerpieces of the Old Testament. They're important, but they're not as important as, say, a King David or some of these other, right? King David is a linchpin in Jesus' genealogy. Well, here we see two people, right? We see um, Enoch is mentioned latter here, and we see Abel mentioned first. And we looked at this on Wednesday night. By the way, if you're not part of Don's class, you're welcome to come on Wednesday night to prayer meeting. We look at the next week's passage and talk about it and have questions. And I asked a question in this passage here. It said here that Cain and Abel, two brothers, Adam and Eve's sons, first brothers in the world, one murdered the other. And what was it over? Well, it was over this. Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God. Cain's was not. What made Abel's sacrifice more acceptable than Cain's? And some people said, well, Abel was a shepherd herder, so his was a blood sacrifice, so God would have accepted that more. Uh, I don't know if that's really the case. The text doesn't say that. That would be sort of speaking from silence in the text. I will say this. I think there was a faith issue on Cain's part. We see in the Old Testament... God accepts a lot of different types of offerings. He accepts wine offerings and flour and grain offerings. It's not just always blood sacrifice offerings. So there could have been an offering given which could have been pleasing to God, but there seemed to have been a component of faith which was lacking in Cain, but which was in Abel's life. And it says here in the Old Testament, if you read it, when God confronts Cain on what happened to Abel, and I don't know how this all worked, but he spoke to them. He was in in their presence. They were in his presence somehow. And he said, oh, am I my brother's keeper? Right? Cain kind of smarts off to God. Can you imagine smarting off to the creator of the universe? They could just snap his fingers like Thanos and dust you, right? He says, I see your brother's blood on the ground. And do you remember what it says, church? It cries out to me. Your brother's blood cries out to me. You ever ask this question? What's Abel's blood crying out for what is the blood of Abel's spill on the ground? What's it crying for? I'll tell you what it's crying for. It's crying for justice. It's 
crying for Jesus Christ to come and to make what has been wrong right. The blood of Abel cries to God and he hears it. The second character here, faith of Enoch. The Bible says Enoch was a godly man. And I, when I first read about Enoch, I read about him in the King James. So in the King James, it says this, Enoch walked with God and was not. doesn't say he died. Apparently, Enoch did not face death. I don't know what that looked like. I don't know how God did that. But God just took him up. He was just gone. They went to look for him. He was gone. Enoch walked with God and it was commended as faith. What is the goal of faith? It is to be commended by God. It is God who would see our faith and count our faith as righteousness because our faith is in Jesus Christ. And we're told here by this, uh, and I want to point this out this morning. Uh, by the way, Kanye West is preaching in Joel Olstein's church this morning. He's going to speak at Joel Olstein's church this morning. That church is about to get a dose of gospel that it ain't had in a long time, all right? If you'd have told me a decade ago I'd be on the stage at a pulpit at my church defending Kanye West and cheering for him, I would have thought you were crazy if you told me that 10 years ago. But, man, Kanye West is the kind of wrecking ball that our culture needs to see Jesus more clearly. You know what? <clears throat> Where was I going with that? <laughs> oh, Joel Osteen. <laughs> I want you to think about these two characters that are pointed to as having great faith in the Old Testament. Abel and Enoch. Abel had great faith. And what happened to him? What was his end? He was murdered. Enoch had great faith. And God delivered him in a miraculous way that he's only done maybe two times in history since he made creation. Him and Elijah. So here's the point. Some of us are going to walk down this path of faith and you're going to meet an end like Abel. You're going to be crushed under the circumstances of living in a fallen world. Others of you will walk in faith and will see God deliver you in miraculous ways. But faith does not guarantee you that you're going to get your house paid off, you're going to have great health, that you're going to have a high, high, high bank account, low blood pressure. Right? It does not guarantee that. What it does guarantee, though, is that you'll get a commendation from God. He'll say, this is a person who I'm pleased with, just like I was Abraham and just like I was Enon. Let me give you an illustration to see if I can stress this point. And I like, I'm going to try to hold it together for this service. The first one, I, I got choked up and I couldn't even hardly read the notes anymore, but I'm going to try to get through this one. How many of you heard of Hudson Taylor, great missionary of yesterday? Hudson Taylor is known for his contribution to missionary work in China. He is considered a great success in Chinese missions, much greater success probably than, unfortunately, Lottie Moon saw in her lifetime. And the church in China is now very strong. I don't know if you know this or not, the church in China is doing very well. In fact, I will not be surprised if in the near future you run across Chinese missionaries coming to the United States to plant churches and reach people with the gospel. China is probably going to, in a short time, become a receiving country. But this was written some time ago. Hudson Taylor goes to the mission field, and he had buried his young wife, his first wife, and he buried four young children as a missionary in China. And 
I want to read to you a letter here. He, he had a daughter named Gracie. Gracie came to the Lord. She's nine years old. She contracted meningitis. And it became very clear she is dying. And here's what Hudson Taylor writes to his friend William Berg, Berger. He says, I know not how to write or how to refrain. I seem to be writing almost from the inner chamber of the King of Kings. Surely this is holy ground. I'm trying to pin a few lines by the couch on which my darling little Gracie lies dying. Her complication is hyprocephalus. Dear brothers, our flesh and our hearts fail, but God is the strength of our heart and our portion forever. It was no vain or unintelligent act when knowing this land, its people, and its climate, I laid my wife and children with myself on the altar for service. And he, whom so overwhelmingly and with much weakness and failure yet in simplicity and godly sincerity, we are and have been seeking to serve. And not only some measure of success, he has not left us now. He wrote that while his daughter was dying right next to him. She died a few weeks after that. <clears throat> Here's a letter he wrote back to his mother a month later in his grief. Here's what he says. Except when diverted from it by the duties and accessories of our portion, our torn hearts will revert to the one subject. And I know not how to write to you. I know not how to write to you or any of the other about our dear little Gracie, who, by the way, came to the Lord at a very young age and seemed to have an advanced knowledge of the gospel and would talk to her dad often about the gospel as they walked together there. How we miss her sweet voice in the morning. One of the first sounds to greet us when we wake through the day and even at time. And how I would take her tripping at my side throughout the past and come anew like that, the throb of agony. It is possible that I shall never feel the pressure of that little Anne Never more hear the sweet prattle, those dear lips. Never more see the sprinkle of those bright eyes. She is not lost. I would not have her back. Again, I'm thankful that she was taken rather than any of the others. Though she was the sunshine of our lives. But she is far holier, far happier than she could have been here. you read these lines and begin to doubt the reality of the faith of this man. Faith finishes. Faith perseveres. Faith will see it through. If we're going to please God, we are going to be people of faith. We can have confidence in this. We can count Christ our portion. We can be honest and we can know if we're searching for him, we can have confidence in knowing he is searching for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this text today. Thank you for this great salvation. Thank you for men like Hudson Taylor, George Mueller, people like Enoch, who have pointed to us that we are to simply have faith and walk by that and to live by that. 
Lord, if there's anyone here that does not have that faith, I pray that you would draw them to yourself and help them. Lord, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.